I've always found it really interesting that if you want to train your body, you know where to go. You go to the gym. If you want to run a marathon, you start running. You run one mile, two mile, you know, to all the way to 26. But if you want to train your mind, what do you do? What's the equivalent thing that you need to do to practice to develop that high-performance mindset? Welcome to Through the Tunnel, a Game Change Productions podcast that dives into sports and the life lessons that can be learned from them. The podcast is inspired by the book of the same name, written by Game Change co-founders Paul McDonald and yours truly, Jack Barrage. On the show today, Paul and I are joined by neuroscientist Dr. Glenn Fox. Dr. Fox teaches a class in high-performance mindset at the University of Southern California. Paul and I asked Dr. Fox what he has learned about the things that high-performing individuals do to achieve success. His answers might surprise you. We hope you enjoy the show, and please check us out at GameChangeNation.com or on one of our social media pages. So Glenn, what are some of the things that you've seen high-performing individuals do in their life to enhance their overall mindset? It varies quite a bit. Now, the, the cool thing is that you can approach this in any number of ways. It could be mindfulness, it could be journaling, it could be a really standardized like recovery procedure. The good news is that you can pick so many different ways to develop this quote-unquote high-performance mindset. Um, and the, the research shows there's, there's probably five or six avenues by which you can start to address it. The bad news is that you have to do it. You have to put in the time. It does not come from wishful thinking or thinking you have a high-performance mindset just by thinking you do. You have to put in the work. You've got to put in the time. You've got to set aside a daily discipline or something that needs to be part of your routine, part of your habit that, that helps build that ballast, which is the foundation for a high-performance mindset. Can you give one example of doing that work? So if I were watching this at home, what would, I, what would I do the next, tomorrow? What do I do, to, how do I start tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, mindfulness, right? Sit down, um, you can listen to a meditation on you know, YouTube or download one of those major apps or anything like that and sit and take five minutes to sit and breathe and relax. Um, that's often, that's probably one of the most common ways that people start getting into this high performance mindset stuff is doing some realm of mindfulness or meditation or something like that. You can also start by start your gratitude journal. You know, we'll have, have a lot of talk about gratitude both in your book and so much of what Game Change is about is gratitude. Um, taking five minutes and really developing a sense of gratitude for something. You know, it can be many different things, but the thing is put that time aside. And if you can't think of anything magical to do, set a timer for five minutes and honestly just lay down and don't go to sleep, don't look at your phone, and just breathe. Mm. It can be so really saying, simple. So you don't have to start crazy. People think right. it, it, it's kind of a similar sort of uh, uh, adoption of how we think you need to exercise, right? It's like you need a sweatband, you need ear pods, you need the best shoes, yeah. you need you know, all this stuff. And it's like, you know what? All you really need to do is walk around outside at a fast pace, 30, 35 minutes walking as fast as you can, you'll get you'll get in better shape. You don't have to do anything fancy to do it. And same thing for mindfulness. You don't need to download 50 apps. 
You don't need to, um, you know, buy an orange robe and dress like a Buddhist monk. Like, which would be cool though. I would, have you know, that. That you would can if you want. Paul to. wants to be a Buddhist monk, by the way. That's his. That's his goal. That would song. be. <laughs> let's do this. You know, we can set. We could set that up. But uh, you know, so no, it's it, it's it's just be real simple. Be really kind to yourself, and start with knowing that having that high performance mindset, by the way, too, it's not meant to solve problems. It's, it's not meant to make sure you're never in pain again, or that you're not going to never suffer again. And it's not even necessarily that a high performance mindset will make you happy. They're really very different things, right? So the high performance mindset is really about present momentness. It's about being able to handle life's challenges. It's about being able to keep your crew together, even when things are tough. Um, that to me is what high performance mindset is. You know, if you really want to start, define what high performance means to you. So write things down, write down what matters, write down the things that make you tick. You know, that's the basis for it because you need a center of gravity. You need something to come back to that's, that's going to be rugged and reliable when things are tough. Right. So stepping out of the fray of life mm -hmm. is really what you're talking about to reflect on these things of what's like, is important to you and what is performance and who do you want yep. to be and how do you want to perform and all of that sort of stuff. And through meditation or whatever form you want to take, maybe it's trial and error and you find something yep. you really like, yep. that will allow you to reach the heights that you want to reach in your life in, in every phase? I, I mean, I think that's how you start, right? A lot can go wrong. Let's not, let's not be unclear that the world is crazy. Right. And there's things you can control and things you can't control. But the mindset, the performance mindset, will help you distinguish what you can control which, and what you cannot control and learn to leverage what you can and make the best of it and go, go from there. You know, I mean, I think by even also looking at, like, why do you want to do all this stuff, right? Why do, you want to, why do you want to know this? Do you want to know about yourself? Or is it like an ego thing, right? And our research with military populations has shown that the ego-driven motivations tend to be a lot thinner than the more deeper self-love of a challenge uh, that, that people can have. So the more you love the challenge, the more you're engaged in the, the stress of it. Typically, those people will get further, you know, faster with lower burnout, lower consequences. So, you know, if the average person saw high performance mindset, I think what they would go to is seven habits of highly effective people, things like uh -huh, that. Uh -huh. Can you draw the correlation between mindfulness and gratitude to high performance? Because it would, to some people, seem really out of the box because it's not about just forming these yeah. great habits. Yeah, because like high performance is like doing. You right, gotta go right. do, you, you gotta right. go Kick it ass. run harder, faster, right, climb right. more. Yeah, yeah. so what is, how, does, how does mindfulness and gratitude correlate to that? That's a, the, the, a great question. So I, I have a model that I call the heart command lift model of high performance. And this is a model I've built over the last five years that helps explain what are all the components of, of achievement at a high level. It's a toolkit for these things. So heart command lift is heart, that's your motivation. Your achievement will only go so far as your motivation will take you. What's the, what's the reasoning? What are you grateful for? that's gonna help you get out of bed in the morning that makes you go, if I don't do this, like I'm gonna let this down and let myself down, like I gotta be grateful for the things I have. Today's the day, 
to use the gifts that I have, to use whatever I have to do my absolute best. That's, that's a crux of gratitude. It's a motivating emotion. These are the components of heart. And we all know, I love the word heart. I picked the word heart on purpose rather than motivation because we know what heart means, right? You know when you see somebody play with heart, your story of coming from, what, ninth string? Mm -hmm. That's heart. That's a story of heart of like, great, you just give me a ball and I'm going to just chuck, you know, chug my way up the ladder. That's heart, right? And so that's your motivation. That's that fire. That's the thing, the person who's going to run a little harder, work a little harder. Something's got to be underneath that. Okay, then you have command. You have to be good at what you do. You've got to be able to throw the best ball you can. You've got to be able to throw. Now, in your book, you also mentioned you were not the 80-yard bomb throwing. You were more darts, right? And accuracy and decision-making. So that's in your command. So how do we get good at stuff? How do we become an expert? How do we practice efficiently and effectively? How do we learn? So for me as a professor, my command is, can I give an entire lecture without using um, uh, so, like, whatever. Can I reach every single student in my room to make sure that he or she feels seen, that they know yeah. this is a yeah. place where they can be a scholar and right. learn and tell a story about the knowledge that we're covering. So um, that's under my command, right? That's my command. And I mean that in terms of leadership, right? Because you, we can all be leaders in whatever we do. You might not be the manager or the director or the coach or whatever, but you can still be a leader of your own domain. So leadership is not necessarily hierarchically driven. That's why I call this command, because right. you can be the leader of your efforts and also put the responsibility for becoming an expert and becoming excellent in whatever you do under your own cap. And then finally, the last part, which is the part you're talking about, is lift. Because at some point, you've got to put it all together and throw the ball down the field, right? You gotta say- You gotta do it. You gotta, you gotta do it. it. You, you gotta, gotta do it. You gotta stick your neck it. out. Yeah. For an athlete, you gotta try that move you've never tried before. You've gotta run a little harder. You've gotta try a new strategy. You've gotta put yourself out there and you've gotta be willing to put yourself onto the biggest stage available to you and accept whatever happens, right? So that's the lift component of it where your ego has gotta fall apart and you gotta just put yourself out there. So that act, involves vulnerability, stress management, emotion regulation. Those are all the things that are under the components of lift. So these three components, heart, command, and lift, are the three components of how I think anybody can reach and achieve things and you know, incorporate some of these principles of high performance mindset into their life. I mean, the, the, there's a lot of risk when you actually have to go do yep. and put yourself yep. out there. Yeah, it's funny because we just, I circled in on the same thing, vulnerability, right? Exactly. Vulnerability and, and, and willing to fail because that's what you're doing. You're willing right. to put yourself out there. So you, is the fact that you love it so much that it doesn't matter, you're, you're willing to fail because you just love doing what you're doing, whatever that is. I think, you know, love is a, love is a great word. I think the or other heart, word is I mean, curiosity. I'm, Right, because curiosity yeah. is part of your heart. It's part of mm -hmm. uh, what's going to happen good you when I be? try this. Yeah, oh, exactly. Okay. Yeah. How how good could I possibly be? Right, if you're just curious about what happens, right. then then if it doesn't go your way, it's not the end of the world. You you learn something, right. right? And and you go okay. Well, then instead of doing X, I'm going to try Y next time. Not ah, this is fruitless. This is the this is worthless. Right. right? I mean. Right. Um, well, I, rem I remember my first three years as a broadcaster on, at USC football. Um, 
I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Actually, I took the job. Well, I, you know, I know the game and all that, but I took the job because I wanted to earn a little extra money. And I wasn't, I thought I was very mediocre, you know, when I did it. But I, you were I, learning, right? You, I, you, you can't dive in as There was no playbook. One. Right. Here's what you do. Here's how you just, okay, yeah. here's the game. Let's go do it. I had to go seek out information from a guy named Jack Snow, who was a great receiver for the Rams, who had been doing uh, analyst work for years. Right. And he gave me the boards and how to set it up and all this other stuff. And, um, and then I, I, I actually had a random call with John Madden, the, huh. late, the late great John Madden in Chicago, of all wow. places. I was on a business trip. I saw this huge bus there. I said, whose bus is that? Because I thought it was, might be Madden's. And it was preseason, August, so preseason game. And the, sure enough, the guy said, oh, that's John Madden's bus. I go, is he staying at the hotel? He goes, yeah. So I call him. I call John Madden on the phone. <laughs> Did he know who you were? Well, his very good friend is a guy named John Robinson. Oh. Who was my think, coach. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, of course, right. threw that out there yeah. right away. Yeah. And he spent 20 minutes with me. And, I mean, the one thing that I'll always take away is, Paul, don't, don't always talk about the quarterback, you know. And, and I don't, I, that's probably a bad John Madden impression, but don't always talk about the quarterback. Talk about the lineman. And, every, and if you remember him, he, he touched on everybody, and he right. loved the lineman more than right. anything. But anyway, yeah. so I had to do all that stuff on my own, and I was pretty mediocre, and then, but I got, I gained experience, you know, and I wasn't beating myself up. At, to begin with, I was listening to my replay, the tapes, because we'd get these discs back, and I'd listen to those, and like, God, God, that didn't sound very good. I mean, why'd you, do, why'd you say that? And So well, there's a little bit of beating myself up, but not, not too much, and then, uh, but I was learning from that, and learning, and, and then at some point in time, um, I actually became pretty good, because you know why I became really good? And I recommend being on live radio for anybody is because you get comfortable in your own skin mm -hmm. with who you are. Because you have to, because right. you're talking for four hours at a right. football game, right. and you can't be so you programmed and think it, you can't yeah. fake it. Yeah. You can't be thinking and programmed and right. synthetic. You have right. to be natural, organic, real. Yeah. And that's what people want. And making a mistake or fumbling is part of the whole thing. I learned that on my first live radio interview it happened when I was a postdoc scientist, I'm in the weeds, all I'm doing is crunching numbers all day. We published this paper on gratitude and they said, we got a call from our PR at USC that says, Glenn, BBC Radio wants to interview you live on the air tonight during the main rush hour traffic. And I was like, oh man. And I just remember thinking, yeah, how are that? Yeah, cool, whatever. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> I, fun. I talk about gratitude, I've been, I've been around, it's fine. And, um, I totally froze. I mean, it was, luckily it was, a, the guy was like, so you interviewed, you know, we did our research with involving stories from the Holocaust, which is a whole separate thing. So we had this very serious backdrop for the research and he, his summary of the research was completely wrong. Okay. <laughs> and as a scientist, my first thought is to do the, the standard, I'm um, actually, right? right? Which is everybody right. hates, but I knew I couldn't because we're live on the air. Right. And so it made the rest of it totally flat. And I, I don't know, my wife came in and she's like, well, how do you think that went? <laughs> I was like, Did she hear it? Yeah. And I was like, I think I didn't go, I didn't embarrass myself, but it was not good. You know, um, 
you know, you know, and I just was like, I want to get back in the ring. And like, that right. was, that was my response was like, Good. God dang it. Good. I want to get back in there. Like, get me, but call the guy back. I want to do that again. And that's when I was like, you know, I like, that's part of what inspired my career is like, I don't want to just be the scientist studying this stuff. That's why I've come up with this heart command lift right. model is right. each one of these dimensions has 30 papers that I've taken the time to read. Yeah that I can teach people about, here's the nuance, here's the guardrail for that, here's why the 10,000 hour rule doesn't work for so many of the things that we do, right? When it comes to building expertise, here's when it does work, here's where it doesn't work, that's based on my understanding of all the research of things. That's why, you know, so like moments, those failures, like that interview, that was a flag to me that like, you know, my heart was singing a little bit. I was like, I kind of like that. Like, I should chase that down a little bit, let me, let me try to get good at that, about explaining science to people. Right. So any, if, I'm, if I ever get the chance to go live on BBC radio again, I, I know how to reach people. Right. You know, so it, it, That's a great response, because I think yeah. most people would be Great the response. They would be like, oh They would God, freeze. Yeah, I suck at this. I will never do radio again. That's right. They don't want that to jump back in. So have another. You were like, I can't wait to try this again is, is awesome. Yeah, I had a... Um, the, the physiology of this, since we're talking science real quick, is it's called the challenge and threat continuum. So it's, you're faced with stressors all the time, and how you interpret that stressor sends your body into a challenge or a threat state. This has to do with lift. And there's, there's a host of physiological things that happen in our heart and our vasculature that occur. And typically, the more you take that stress and push yourself into the challenge state, the more ready you're going to be to handle whatever comes next. It's an active engagement with the challenge. It's not blinking in the face of adversity. It's that kind of enjoyment of the stress that pushes our body into a state of readiness for things. So that is the end. That's at the end what you're really training your high-performance mindset for, just to come full circle here. Yeah. What you're really training your high-performance mindset is that's when it does come down to you, that stress sends you into a challenge state of readiness, of engagement, of enjoyment during that time. So we talked about vulnerability and failing. You've worked with Navy SEALs, and I'm interested to learn how they have to respond to failure because their consequences of failure are far greater than ours. Yeah, it's a big question. When I've said that to them, I said, well, failure for you, if you have a mistake, it's you die instantly. And they're like, actually, there's a, there's a continuum of failure. There's a lot of mistakes you can make that we're always still chasing a perfect mission. You can still get all the guys back and have an imperfect mission. And you almost never have a perfect run through and it almost never goes as well as your training will go, but they're still chasing it. So they even see still there's a continuum for what it would look like for the different kinds of mistakes that they can make. They're still chasing a perfect mission even if it looked from the outside like, oh, that went really well. I think this is really interesting. Don't they debrief the mission yeah. together? And don't they have to admit themselves, each one of them, I should have done this, I could have done this better, which is a, the heightened sense of vulnerability to be able to do that in front of your peers. Absolutely, yeah. They, um, it, it varies platoon to platoon, of course, how they do the debrief and stuff like that and how much vulnerability they can show. So it's a really, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing, but it's, it's hard to crawl across them with all the things, but at the end of the day, you know they they're much more flat hierarchically than you'd expect, um, particularly in the the Marines I was hanging out with, where I thought it was going to be this person comes down and that's it. 
um, there's a lot more uptalk and upward management. Now, it's never disrespectful, but it's much more collaborative than I think people give them credit for. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Through the Tunnel. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review it. It'll really help others who love sports and the lessons they provide to find the show and together create Game Change Nation, a community that is dedicated to lifting each other up. Also, we'd love to hear your stories, so please visit GameChangeNation.com or any of our social media pages to give us your take on sports and life. And finally, check out our book, Through the Tunnel, which is now available on Amazon. Thanks again for listening and have an awesome day.